morning, everybody. So this is my beautiful wife. Well, beautiful wife. I don't know why I struggle with that. <laughs> Danny, and I'm Charles, and this is Nathan. He will not be reading this morning, but we'll try our best to uh, keep the interruption at the, the minimum. With Valentine's Day coming up, I just want to say my wife bought me this Bible when we started dating, and I'm still using it, my love, so I think we're okay for now. Okay. Coming up to six, seven years. Which one? Nine years. <laughs> no, we've known each other for nine years. Yes, but we've been married for what? Seven years. Seven years. <laughs> always, always get that wrong. Okay. So I'll start us off in 1 Corinthians. Oh, I'm Afrikaans, so if the English struggles, please just forgive me. 1 Corinthians 15, no, 12 verse 15. Okay, let me get it. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. That is me and our relationship. But other, where was I? And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, and these we bestow greater honor, and our unpre unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but, our, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no chism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffer, all the member suffers with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Cool. I'll be reading um, through Acts um, 2, verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe of the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who need, was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple's court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily to those who were being saved. Good morning, everybody. Thanks, Danny and Charles. I didn't know someone could personalize a reading so much. That was amazing. Best you go and get your dates right, though, when you go home. Um, my name is Nikki, for those of you who ha I haven't met, and along with my husband, Roger, we lead the eldership team here at Common Ground Bloberg, and it's such a privilege to be speaking to you this morning, and such a um, I'm even more excited because we are in a series that I'm especially um, excited about, and um, we're in a series that's called This Is Us, 
This is us. There's a sweet little poster over there. I don't know if you noticed, so clever, little cross there in the zigzags. Um, but this is us. And last week, Rod spoke about this is us. We are um, identified in, by the gospel. We're identified by the gospel. And in our life group, we had such a brilliant conversation. Um, and uh, last week, it was such an incredible message. And I really encourage you to listen to it if you missed out on it. And this week, we're talking about something that I'm especially uh, convinced about and um, excited about, something that's really close to my heart. And that is, this is us. We are cemented in community. We are cemented in committed relationships. We're going to be speaking about community and relationships. And um, this time last week, I was in KZN celebrating my... Am I okay here with this mic? All good? Um, We celebrated my grandmother's um, life through her memorial service. If you were here last week, Rog would have mentioned it. She was nearly 92, and um, she had just over 250 people at her memorial service, not many of whom were in their 90s, because she was just this walking, open life of um, generosity with her words, with her time, with her stuff, with herself. And she was someone so deeply committed to relationships and to community, and that was so evident in her memorial service. And it was, we as a family, we celebrated this, that over 250 people present at this memorial service celebrated this, and I knew I was going to be preaching this message. And so I came back from KZN with this fresh urgency for us as a community to, to freshly understand the importance of community and relationships, and I, and I hope that that happens for us this morning. Sound, guys, should I use the other mouth? What am I doing? Move it away from my mouth? Okay. So someone said, are you nervous about preaching? I said, no, I'm just nervous about wearing the Britney mic. It's like the worst, the worst mic. Is that better? Cool, thank you. So I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say something along these lines. Perhaps you've even said it yourself. I won't ask you to put up your hand. I'm just taking some time away from community and church to focus on myself. Or perhaps even this, I'm taking some time away from community and church to focus on my own relationship with God. And people have said that to me before as a leader here in church, and you know, it sounds quite holy, and I sometimes don't even know what to do with it because it sounds quite um, righteous, and it sounds quite mature. And when people say those kind of things, it digs up these kind of questions in me of, does this whole thing matter? This, our friendship, you and me, and us, shoulder to shoulder together. Is this thing really important? And where do I go where I'm feeling tired and drained? Is this the place that I can come to draw spiritual encouragement and strengthening? When I'm, when I'm, when I'm just feeling like I just can't, is this really the place that I can be open, or is it only a place that I need, I'm expected to make deposits into? And then it begs the question, you start wondering, when you're wondering how important is this thing, you also sometimes ask yourself, what do you do when you possibly just feel like you don't belong? And what do you do if we're really honest, you look around at the other people in this room and you kind of think, I don't really need you guys. In fact, you complicate my life. You've all got different opinions to me and we just end up arguing and this whole thing I could do without. I'm going to take some time out and just focus on my own relationship with God. Well, our hope today. My hope today is when we leave today, by the end of this morning, 
that if you are a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christ follower, I hope that you can see that growing in your maturity in Jesus is so inextricably connected to community and relationships that growing on this side in in, in your relationship with Jesus and your own faith cannot be done in isolation. And, and, and I think as a, on, on the whole, for us as a community, Common Ground Bloberg, I think we really believe this stuff. I think we love community. And I have had an incredible experience of the family of God being part of this church. I could fill this morning with stories of that. And so that I think we are, we're like, sign me up. I am in. Is this about community? Do we even need to hear this sermon? This is like, this is our stuff. But sometimes we still find it difficult to make the application. Now and again, our lived experience of community is a little bit different of our expectations of community. Am I the only one? A few of us nodding. Yeah. See, we read Acts 2.42, and most of us are like, amen. That is just me. Can we print that and like put it in our small group send out, you know? But then when you go to small group, it's not always Acts 2.42. I don't know if you ever work, walk out of church and you think, you know, this whole, whole thing, church, community, sign me up, I am in, this thing is amazing. And come Wednesday, Wednesdays, wow, Wednesday's so hard, hey, whatever day your life group is on, it's just the worst day. But Wednesdays, you're just too drained and too exhausted to engage emotionally or relationally with anybody. You know that saying of our age today, I just can't. Anyone else just can't on a Wednesday or a Tuesday? You just can't. I just can't. I just can't sometimes. And, and, you know, if it's not, we love this thing, this idea of community and relationships. We love it in theory. But then if it's not an argument with your spouse on the way to church on Sunday, hey, why? Or a kid's birthday party on a Sunday morning. Again, why? But still, it happens. It is just a week that is too full and too busy, leaving us too drained to emotionally engage. You know, it's a, it's a week that is so full of children's extramural activities and us trying to fit in driving into town in the traffic and back, and traffic's back after COVID, and it's hectic out there, guys. And we're trying to reply to all our WhatsApps, and we let alone our emails, and get in an hour's worth of scrolling aimlessly in social media. I'm kidding, not us, not in this church, but we've got a lot to fit in, and our lives are busy, and all of these things in and of themselves, they are not wrong, all of these things, even your hour of social media, in and of itself is not, is not the worst thing, but they are all vying for our attention, our time, and our energy, all of which are required to build community and relationships, and so the, fir- the very thing that we need when we just can't is actually the thing we think we just can't about, if that makes sense. The very thing that our souls need is the first to go because our time, our energy, and our attention has already been spent. Recently, um, we, had to, we had this very in- interesting conversation with a friend of ours who um, we had to actually lovingly challenge about their understanding or their pers- perspective on community. And uh, this person is actually, um, if you knew them, you would describe them as a community builder. They really are. You know, if you're moving house, they're the first person there to help you. If you're needing something, you've got like actually a practical need for them to meet, they're going to meet it. If you've got a prayer request, they're going to pray for you, and they're going to check on you afterwards to see how that thing went. They're a community builder. But then very interestingly, this person went through a struggle of their own. 
And it wasn't, there was no, no shame around it. It wasn't a sin issue or anything like that, but it was a deep struggle. And they needed people to stand with them. But they decided to go it alone. Because, and their words were, there's just too much to explain, and I don't actually have the energy to explain it. And we kind of said, we had to kind of show them that part of community, yes, is showing up with your casserole dish, and it's showing up with your bucket to help someone move, and it's showing up to pray for someone else when they've got a prayer need. But here's the thing. A lot of us are good at that kind of showing up, and not a lot of us are good at the ugly kind of showing up. Actually, this is me. Inside this heart, I've got this going on, and it does take a long time to explain, and you might misunderstand it, and you might actually reject me, but that is... The, the beautiful, true picture of what vulnerability is. We love authenticity in our, in our society today. We don't always love vulnerability in our society today. To love at all is to risk and is to make yourself vulnerable. The, the, the root word of the word vulnerable is to make yourself able to be hurt. And we had this, this conversation that we had with this friend. It ended so beautifully. It was like the penny dropped, actually. I actually don't know how they, what, what was, what, uh, how it ended with them showing the this, this struggle, but I know that they were open to being open about what was going on, and, and I hope that that more and more becomes true of us as a community. So we can go on to the next slides. I think there's a few between there and this, this one and this next one, but I hope that we leave today seeing that a community is what we were created for. We simply can't thrive when we are lonely. I think we all know that, but we also cannot thrive as human beings if we are um, living only in lower-grade relationships. We can't thrive in that. I hope that we see that community is where we get to grow, and I hope that we see that community is um, where we get to best enact our love, get to best enact the gospel to one another. We think of that verse, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. This is the place that we get to put the love of Jesus on display. So back to that beautiful passage that Danny read for us. And um, that Acts 2.42, and it's so beautiful. I'm actually going to read it again, and, and here it is on the screen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that beautiful? As I said, it's so earlier. Sometimes we want to just like Man, I wish my small group was like that. I wish my experience of church was like that. But isn't that inspiring? We look at that, we go, yes, God. Even if you're still unsure about Jesus and who he says he is and you're checking out the Bible, there's something about people seeing each other every day that I think humans are like, that's great. Even if you're introverted, you're like, just someone knowing me and checking up on me and knowing my life, we, we're in for that. But as Christ followers, as Jesus-loving, Bible-believing people, we look at that, we're like, yes, please. But it's not always our experience. Don't know if you've ever heard they there's often they're picking up, digging up these false gospels, you know, under the Red Sea, and they find some gospel, and there's wow, everyone's so fascinated about it. Don't know if you've heard, but they found a new one. I'm going to preach out of it today. 
I'm just kidding. All of you are like, what? <laughs> um, but another author, he actually, a little bit kind of tongue-in-cheek, wrote this called this uh, called the gospel. Oh, he didn't write the whole thing. He just kind of paraphrased Acts 2.42, the gospel of America. We could call it the gospel of the West. And here's how Acts 2.42 goes in the gospel of the West. They studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They went to church when they could fit it in. They prayed together when they needed something, and they got coffee together every now and again. They were content without and had low expectations for signs and wonders in their midst. They sometimes talked about generosity, but kept all their possessions for themselves. Two out of five Sundays, they came to corporate gatherings. They didn't invite people into their homes and rarely revealed their hearts. They were largely irrelevant to the people, and occasionally, Someone was randomly saved. It's like, that's hard to read. That's, that's, I don't want to live in that. But if I'm honest, that sometimes is a little bit more true of my lived experience than Acts 2.42. Sometimes I'm living more in that. And so there seems to be, there's this ideal, and I think if I look at most of you who I know in the room, there's not many of you that I need to convince about this, about real Acts 2.42. I think we're all like, yes, please, I'm in. But this is our experience a lot of the time of community, our lived experience of community, and why. Why is there this gap? Why is there this gap? There's a beautiful passage, and Charles read it to us, and I think it sheds a little bit of light on why there is this gap between the real Acts 2.42 and the gospel of the West, my lived experience. And uh, I hope it's going to shed a little bit of light for us this morning. And it's that, that beautiful passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse um, 15, where it's speaking, all these body parts are, in a sense, speaking to each other. And obviously not real body parts, but he's likening it to the church. We are the body of Christ, and each of us are different members performing different functions. But these different body parts are speaking to each other, and it quotes, the, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. So because I'm not this thing, I don't belong Later on, the eye, in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So do you see those two lines? And I want to suggest that's what's in the gap here. I don't belong, and I don't need you. See, that's what's the difference sometimes between here in Acts 2.42, where we read this beautiful account of community, and then our lived experience here of sometimes gathering and having a very mundane and bland experience of community, we've got two lines that stick out to us. I don't belong, and I don't need you. Now, I wonder which one more resonates with you this morning. Possibly, you know, you can say, I don't belong. Maybe you've told yourself that. You look around and you just say, I'm not like these people. Somehow they all belong, but I don't belong. And you've created some kind of subcategory that everybody else fits into, but you don't fit into. And maybe it's your age and stage, maybe it's your culture, maybe it's your race, maybe it's your language, maybe it's your financial situation, maybe it's your past. I'm not sure what it is for you, but maybe you just look around and you just say, they all belong, but I don't belong. Or possibly you are saying, you know what? I don't need you people. Maybe you've got a wonderful social life outside of church. And, and genuinely, I'm not saying you shouldn't have. We, that's wonderful. But maybe you've got just a lot going on. 
And maybe you've got all your family living in Cape Town, and so you never need to rely on the church for any babysitting help or any practical needs. Or maybe just simply financially, practically, and, and like even just with help in your life, you are simply sorted. Sorted. So there's not a lot of vulnerability. There's not a lot of space to let people in because... I don't need you. And you tolerate these people because you know that this is a good thing. But actually, deep down, you're like, if this whole thing goes under, um, actually, I'll be the one that's fine because I've got a lifeboat, <laughs> you know? I don't belong and I don't need you. And I think those are the two things that kind of stand in the gap and, and widen this chasm between what we know is possible and what is biblically designed for us as community and our lived experience of community. And although this, this, this passage that we just read is so, um, so poignant and it's so helpful for us, I think what would be even more helpful is that we dug one little level deeper and looked at our culture, our society's understanding of community. So where are we today? We live in the post-industrial era. I can understand now why people are always scared that someone's going to fall off here. This thing is like, I just feel quite at the front. Will you catch me if I fall <laughs> Um, So our culture's version of community, where do we find ourselves? We're in the post-industrial era where there is no expectation on us to love anybody that is different to us. I would even say, I don't think in society today, I'm not talking about the church, in society today, I don't think there's much expectation on us to love anyone that's even the same as us if it doesn't feel good. Am I right? If it feels good, Great. If it doesn't, don't worry, because you need to be true to yourself. And so if you're not feeling the love, you don't have to love. You do you, bro. <laughs> Lost my place now. <laughs> but we live in a preference-based society. A preference-based society, <clears throat> society or community is really... Exactly that, where we say, on our preferences, we will meet. Okay, so Tanya and I, we both enjoy uh, running. That's a little peg for us to find ourselves in community. T and I, we have children of the same age. That's a little peg. We're going to, we're going to, that's a preference that's joined us together. And there's lots of little pegs around this room that are going to kind of connect us together. It's a preference-based society. But if this changes, suddenly I'm out of running, Tanya and I, we're done, it's fine, we might bump into each other, that's okay. But we opt in and we opt out as we prefer and as those things change. It's a preference-based society. And it's not working all that well for us. I think it's having some effects on us. And some of the effects that it's having on us, the first one is loneliness. Loneliness. We are lonely. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand, but I think even inside the church, people are lonely. And we can't only blame COVID-19 for this. I think COVID and lockdown kind of uh, brought to light a lot of the loneliness in people's lives, but I think it was there before. Very interestingly, I read about a study that was done by... Uh, in, in the UK on 55,000 people over the age of 16. And they asked these people a whole bunch of questions at, around loneliness, and they had to indicate how often they experienced loneliness as their dominant kind of feeling. Do you know who the loneliest group of people were? The age group of 16 to 24-year-olds. Do you know who the least lonely group of people were, or the people who at least indicated that? were the people over the age of 65. Those people over the age of 65, they were, yeah, Rory and Zender, they're like, yeah, we're not lonely. (laughs) 
but you're not 65, Roy. But, um, but the, the people over age 65, a lot of people have commented on this study that's been done now, and they're saying that oh, even though those people over 65, they were the most ho housebound group of people, and they were the people who had lost the most loved ones and peers, but yet their connection with human beings, the, the connection that they had, even if it wasn't as frequent as the age 16 to 24-year-olds, it was in person, so it was face-to-face, -face, or it was analog, which means in real time. It was over the phone, it was reading a letter, it was happening in real time. They were the least lonely people. I mean, that blew my mind. Age 16 to 24-year-olds, they probably are the most socially mobile, having the most connection, we would think, the most free to move around. But most of their connections that were happening were, it's obviously they are the most preference-based people living their lives in the most preference-based way, and most of their connection is happening through a screen. And it's resulting in deep loneliness. It's a smaller side, but preference-based community is resulting in, in loneliness. It's also resulting in instability because, yes, we committed to a bra on Saturday, but anything could happen between now and then. I might not feel like coming to the bra on Saturday, and so I'm going to opt out. And Yes, things happen. I'm not saying, like, we make a blood oath when we make a plan. But we, you know, we, we kind of, we're not standing on, on solid ground in a preference-based society because I make an agreement with you, but my agreements are solely based on how I feel right now, my present thinking, my bodily urges, and if I think right now it's a good idea or not. If tomorrow it's not, then it's not. And so we like, well, where are we? Like, are we in this thing? Are we not in this thing? We kind of don't know. So you kind of not ever really feeling like you can fully rely on someone. So we've got loneliness, we've got instability, and interestingly, I suggest we've got a lack of freedom, a loss of freedom, because although we're kind of opting in and opting out and making these decisions, whether we're part of this thing or not part of this thing, and I'm not only talking about church, I'm just talking about life in general, we're making those decisions based on very present thinking and feelings, and that results, we're actually bound to those things. Although that sounds like freedom, it's we're actually bound to those things, and it ends up being a loss of freedom. So let's leave this behind for a little bit because it's, it's actually a little bit depressing to only talk about that. So let's look at the beautiful way of biblical commitment-based community. What type of relationships are we called to build? What type of relationships should be filling this room and beyond? Because not only about this room, and I hope that you know that, it's about the rest of life. And it's about shoulder to shoulder standing with each other and building those kind of relationships that we can bless the world and bless our area. Now, I don't know if you read those in Acts 2.42, the word that stands out to me is devotion. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to pray. And every day they met, they devoted themselves to each other and to what they felt like God had called them to regardless of, of kind of what was happening. We don't hear anything about what was happening in the rest of their life in this little passage, but we hear that they were devoted. In another part um, uh, of Paul's life, when he, he's writing about an, another story, he writes about another part of devotion. He speaks about a couple, a friend of his, a couple called Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is sometimes called Prisca. And he speaks about them and he said, Greet Pris Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers for me in Christ Jesus, who have risked their lives for me. When we ask what are the kind of relationships that we should be building in this room and beyond, that's a beautiful picture. Someone who will risk their lives for you. Yes, they were risking their lives for the gospel. They were putting themselves in dangerous situations to take the message of Jesus to new areas. But Paul didn't write that. He said, oh, greet them. He, they took the message of, of Jesus. He says, greet them. They risked their lives for me. 
And that takes deep commitment, and that takes years, and that takes time, and it takes energy. You would have heard us speaking about 3 a.m. friends. Who are your 3 a.m. friends? Interestingly, I'll get to that. We have three, who are your 3 a.m. friends? People who can um, call you up at 3 a.m. or who you can call at 3 a.m. Because that's the thing. We'd all go, please phone me at 3 a.m. We wish someone would. Hey, I mean, we giggle, but it would feel quite nice to be needed at 3 in the morning. But at 3 in the morning, are you going to be humble enough to phone someone else and say, I need help? And I just remembered this now. I'm so glad I remembered didn't work out well for the person. But last night at midnight, someone phoned me. Anshin phoned me. She's not here. Her child was sick. She said, I need this medicine. Do you have this medicine? Did I hear the phone? I'm ashamed to say I didn't. Should have slept with it on loud. <laughs> but she phoned someone else also in this church community who did have the medicine. That, I mean, what a beautiful picture of 3 a.m. friends. But it is both are beautiful. It's wonderful to be the person who phones and it's wonderful to be the person who picks up the phone and who is able to meet that need. But we need both. It's, this is not a one-sided thing. But who are those people? 3 a.m. friends, we all want them, but they take time and they take commitment and they take energy. If we look at this Acts 2.42, don't know why it seems like Acts 2.42 is here. I'm like feeling this is the space. This is the real community space. But Acts 2.42, there's devotion and there's openness. There is major openness, openness with their homes, openness with their life, and openness with their shame. If they were selling their possessions to cancel each other's debts, do you know what that tells me? They were open about their debt, okay? So they were open. They were sharing, I'm in this, okay, who else needs more than this much? Okay, are you? Okay, yeah, okay, can we distribute it, please? That means in this open space, they were open about, I mean, not, I'm not talking about a gathering like this, like let's all talk about our debt, but they were sharing things that were, that were possibly like maybe embarrassing to talk about or, or shame. They were bringing that into the light. They were open. There was this radical openness that was so beautiful. And then, uh, you know, in what we see in a kind of a preference-based society is, is loneliness and instability and a loss of freedom. But when we look at this society, this Acts 2.42 community, what we see instead is an intimacy where there was, you know, now we're meeting together daily. We see this beautiful intimacy, this beautiful closeness. We see a stability where there was instability of a preference-based society in a biblical-based commitment relationships. We see a stability. There's this beautiful rhythms to their lives that they give themselves to that provide stability. There's also freedom instead of a loss of freedom. Although there is structure, I bet you there was a lot of freedom in that structure. And then the one thing that I would add there is that they gained identity. And I love this point that Rog made last week, and I think I want to say it again, is that we live in a community where alone you determine who you are. Anyone remember this? You decide, this is me, so you come up with your identity alone, and you expect acceptance in society for who you have determined yourself to be. As a community of Christ-following believers in the church, together we receive our identity. Together, we are the children of God. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are loved. We are accepted. We are adopted. We are redeemed. We are restored. We get that together. And we expect that individually we will be living that out in our everyday lives. And there's something powerful around that. We gain identity together. And I don't think we realize what an upstream swim 
we are doing, living this thing, because we live in such a highly individualized society. Sociologists call this time of kind of our little period of history at the moment, expressive individualism, where who you are and you expressing that is arguably the most important thing to people. And I think some of the church has been kind of adopted that a little bit and is thinking that. And it's, yes, Jesus is, is about the, the leaving the 99 to go for the one. And yes, every single life matters. And yes, it is one life at a time. But together we are the body of Christ. And our faith, although it is deeply personal, it's not private. We gain our identity together. So what are we doing? What are you doing to build this kind of community? Because I think what happens is we read Acts 2.42 and we like, this is it. I just love this. This is what I want my life group to be. Perhaps even you visited this church and you're like, well, let's see, you know, do they measure up to Acts 2.42? We use it as a bit of a standard for community. But instead of a standard for community, I would say, let's rather look at it and, and ask ourselves how am I contributing to building <clears throat> this kind of community where I am? How can I nurture Acts 2.42 life where I am? And we see in this community, in Acts 2.42, this community of Acts, we see people inviting people in. We see devotion. We see shared practices, proximity, consistency, gratitude, generosity, humility, and openness. I think we could do, it could go a long way for us to change, flip the story a little bit, instead of using that as just a standard, to say, how am I taking this and contributing to build that kind of community where God has placed me? And why do we love like this in this commitment-based biblical way? Because commitment, it's, it's, a, it's a hard word for us in this day and age in 2022. We love this way because this is how Jesus loves us. He is deeply committed to us. Apart from what we do for him or how we respond to him, he loves us in a deeply committed way. And when we speak about vulnerability, making yourself woundable, what better display of love and vulnerability is death on a cross? Jesus looking on us saying, is this not the display of me making myself woundable for you, for you to know how much I love you? I'm deeply committed to you. And so we love each other that way because that's the kind of love that we receive from him. And so it flows to us, but it flows from us to each other as well. And that's the way that we enact the gospel to one another and to a watching world as well. There are a few little ways that we still resist this though, and we kind of need to dig those out with a, like a small garden spade, I think. And the first one is fear of commitment. You know, the, the place that we're meant to learn about commitment and stability has been broken. 50% of marriages ending in divorce, and not only out there, but also in here. And so the place that we are meant to be looking to for what, how does commitment work is broken. And so there is this fear of commitment. There's also a general mistrust, an eroding of trust because I've been let down before. So if I say, you know, if I say I'm in, are you still gonna be in to this whole thing? Because the last time I said that, someone let me down and it wasn't just like they didn't pitch up, they let me down. There's 
general mistrust. There's also this shrinking from the tribe, this feeling, you know, we often used to find identity in families and in groups. Now we find identity, as we said, in our, on our own. And so we resist being part of something and deeply committing to a, a larger group where we're part of something bigger. But God, God is a God of promise. He made a covenant with us, his people, but he made a covenant with us, his people. Yes, he made a covenant with me, Nikki. I'm, I'm saved. I'm a daughter of the Most High God. I'm redeemed. I'm called. I'm known. But I find reality to that. I find traction for that here. And if you're only finding traction for that out there and on your own, only, and not here, then there's something that needs to be aligned. Because we need to find this is the place that it really, that, that it works out. We are a community fueled by the Spirit, and that's how this is possible. Receiving this love from the Father, receiving the love of Jesus, and letting it sink deep into our hearts so that we can love one another in this way. How much of our shared life is simply sharing opinions? It was a hard one to say. I nearly left it out because sharing opinions is very, very helpful, and I think it's a good step in the right direction. But how much of our shared life is just sharing what we thought about the sermon, about the verse, whether we liked it or not. There is not inherently something you know, wrong with that on its own, but it can't start and end there. Our shared life needs to be our shared life, where together we engage in the practices, where we are worshiping together and praying together, confessing sins to one another. Do we do, we do that? That's really, really hard. It's a lot harder than asking for prayer for something. Confessing to one another, breaking bread, sharing meals together, praying together, sharing, sharing our life, not just our opinions. And um, I always remember my very first life group that I ever led. It was an all-girls group, and it was, um, we were all students, so it was, I mean, probably if I went, I like have these amazing memories of it, but probably if I could like go visit it again, I would like hang my head in shame. But a lot of us, we really did kind of see it as a space for us to grow and practice and make mistakes. And it was a place for us to, to grow in what we felt like God had gifted us in. So some people felt like they were actually gifted with the gift of prophecy or encouragement or words of knowledge or um, leadership even. And this was a place where you could try and you could practice and you would make mistakes. But it was a place when we got together, we expected God to move and to be at work amongst us. And sometimes our expectation levels have shifted from the real Acts 2.42 and we have gone to the gospel of the West where they had little or no expectation for the movement of God in their midst. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is alive and active and wants to move. But if we're only sharing our opinions, it's not much he can do. Let's share life, not just sharing our opinions. And very quickly, one of the other ways that we can build this type of community is to move through the four stages of community. And the first one is excitement. Maybe this is you right now. You're just excited. You just love Common Ground Bloberg. And you know, the worship is just, it's so real. And you just like the words. And you enjoy the vibe. And Jess is so great with the kids. And this is just so nice. And the quad. And it's just awesome. 
and you just think you can't wait to get into a life group. I can just imagine people are there weeping and praying for each other, and it's just so incredible. And then you get there, and you're like, are you kidding me? These people are more complicated than I am, and I thought this group was going to help me, and in fact, it's just a pain. And so the next stage is disillusionment. We know this guy, actually. That's why I chose this picture. It looks more like frustration, but sometimes frustration can be disillusionment. You're like, this is just not what I thought it was, you know? I thought this group was going to save me, and it's actually just adding complication to my life that I don't need. But the next stage is adjustment. And I chose this picture because this lady's having her glasses maybe changed into a new lens, I'm not sure. But they're being adjusted because she's seeing rightly. Because when we can see rightly and adjust our expectations of community, that's, I think, when God can break in. Because if we're only expecting to be seeing some part of community and only expecting to be giving or expecting a certain thing from, but when we adjust our perspective and realize, God, I need to receive love from you and be empowered by you, Holy Spirit, so that I can love these people, that's when we can move to the next stage, which is growth, agape love. So move through these stages. And I want to put it to you, if you're still at stage number one and you think this is just the greatest church, time is ticking and you're going to move to that disillusionment phase because we're not all that great and someone is going to let you down. And when you get to that life group, they might not all be weeping and praying for each other and it might not be as good as as you think it's going to be. But if you can move through that and not just look for another group of friends and another church and another life group because the cycle never ends. If you can move through that and adjust, that's where real growth can happen. So where are you with receiving the love of Jesus so that you can love other people? Because I think many of us, if we're honest, our hearts are pretty hard because we've learned to protect ourselves. I heard someone say just this week, I'm on my fifth set of close friends. This person was, I think they're not 50 yet. Lived in only two places, so it's not like they've moved around. But we live in a very transient world, and people are transient, even if they don't move. we just transient in and out of each other's lives, and yet we serve this God who's a God of promise, and a God of covenant, and a God of community. We need to commit to being part of this and adjust our expectations. But where are you and how are you doing in receiving the love of God so that you can, in an empowered way, love other people? Because if we try and do this thing on our own, it's, I think we all know that it just doesn't work. Like you can't love people on your own strength, even if they're not different to you. So we want to just create some space now. The band is going to come up and we've got some even just some reflection questions to, just for a few seconds, we're gonna reflect on these questions that are, I think there's a slide for them. Yeah, there you go. Do people know me? When was the last time I invited people into my home? You can read through them. And just read through them as the band plays and then I I just encourage you, bring your whole self to God. Say, God, I receive your love. Before you try and, and, and kind of stir up love in your heart to make it right with other people and have community, receive the love of the Father and of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you actually have never received the love of Jesus. Today is your day. Don't let today go by. Say, God, I receive your love. 
Maybe you've been following Jesus for a number of years, but your heart has become hard as you've tried to protect it from more hurt and more rejection, more being let down. Would you let him crack that open this morning? Not by force, but just by his love. And be open to him. Bring your whole self to him. You can read these words and and we're going to sing together. Over to the band.